Good morning. How you doing? So we're going to continue in Galatians today. We're going to move to chapter 3. Uh, one of my favorite verses in all of Galatians is Galatians 2.20. Last week we read it. I want to start by reading it for us again today because it really sets up where we're going to be in chapter 3. I think Lynn did a good job with that last week. It says this, 2.20 of Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I were to give you a synopsis of Galatians 2.20, it'd be this. Dead men have no rights. Dead men have no rights. Have you ever asked someone sitting in a coffin six feet deep what they feel, what they want? You see, what what he's saying here is this. I am no longer living for myself. I tried that. I tried living for myself, and I saw that all I had was sin and death. My life was in sin, and I had sin and death waiting for me when it was all said and done. And so I love that Jesus loved me enough to come and give himself and take his, my, my punishment upon himself. And it's not me who lives. I, I've already died to self. I've trusted. I've said yes. And that yes to him because I needed a Savior was the only yes I got. That yes to him as Savior meant he was also Lord. Those two terms are inseparable when we look at Jesus. He can't be Savior if he's not also Lord. So that means I said yes because I couldn't save myself, and I cried out to him as Savior, and I died to self to now live for him. He's my boss. He's in charge. He has his way in and through me. And for anyone in who here in this room who's in Christ, who's a child of God, you now... Christ lives his life in and through you, like the very power and presence of God dwells within you and I. And wherever we go, we usher that in. We're no longer guilty. Something that Lynn said last week that really sets up today, and it's important, is that it's not that you felt you were guilty or you thought you were guilty, it's that you were guilty. Anyone prior to Christ, anyone who does not have the Spirit of God dwelling in them, convicting them, leading them, guiding them, bearing fruit of his life through them, is not a child of God, is a child of wrath. And they were guilty standing before God. And the only way that they could be saved is if he made a way for us. So the title today of our sermon is that he made a way when there was no way. And last week we looked at how Paul confronted Peter in love because Peter had some Judaizers, some people who came from the Pharisee sect who came alongside and they believed a different gospel. They believed that the power of Jesus' work on the cross wasn't sufficient in and of itself for salvation. What they were teaching was that you had to have that power and faith in Jesus plus a working of the law. And those two things would equal salvation. The reason I want to make this clear is this. Peter and Paul were both Messianic Jews. They are not Judaizers. These are two different things. A Judaizer, he speaks of in Philippians 3. He's talking about someone who believes a false gospel, that you have to keep exercising the law in order to have salvation as a means. But see, a Messianic Jew was someone who believed completely in the sufficiency of the work of Jesus on the cross, but continued to practice the law. Paul and Peter both did. They continued to practice the law. Why? Because they saw it as a means of evangelism. They would work the law around those who were keeping the law in effort to win them to Jesus. So they could prove the law could never save us in and of itself. 
So he's looking at Peter last week and he goes, you already know this. What are you doing? And upon your influence, because you're so influential in the New Testament church, you're the apostle Peter. Other people who've converted from Judaism, who are leading this church in Galatia, they started to follow you, even Barnabas. And now today, Paul's going to turn and he's going to confront the Gentiles. He's going to turn and confront the Galatian church, ask a rhetorical question for people who were never under the law, who didn't know that the, the law itself could never save them. And they've started to listen to the Judaizers and they're starting to practice law in a, as a means to salvation. They're straight lied to. And so let's, let's read it for ourselves. Here it is. In Galatians 3, 1, he starts with this. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish now after beginning by the means of the Spirit, you're now going to finish your life by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. First point, first question. We have to evaluate it. This is important for us today. It's important for the church at Galatia. It's incredibly important for a church that grows in the middle of culture religion, like we are in a culture in the Bible Belt, the buckle of the Bible Belt, that is religiously cultural, okay? Here's the question, who lied to you? First point. He's asking a rhetorical question. And if you know Paul and you know his writings, what we're gonna get real familiar with here, he kind of writes a little sarcastically. He's like, who lied to you? You foolish Galatians, why'd you buy this hook, line, and sinker? The Greek word here for foolishness is enoetos, foolish. It means this. It's not intending mental deficiency. That's not the connotation. The connotation is mental laziness. You just stopped caring. It's not that you were stupid. You were just careless. This is where we must all and always be on guard ourselves. How careless are we being with the influence we allow in our lives? That's what happened to Peter last week, and he started to draw back to his old ways because he was nervous. He was concerned more about what other people thought than what God thought. And so he started to draw back, and he hurt the Gentiles in the process, hurt his witness. The Judaizers come in, and they start requiring law practice for salvation. And the Galatians start to buy it and believe it because they watch their leader, Peter. They watch other Jewish leaders who are leading in the church there, like Barnabas, start to draw back too. And they go, we must have missed it. Something, here's the secret, here's the magic. And every single one of those Jews who were converted from Judaism would tell you the law in and of itself cannot save you. And so he's going, who has lied to you. Why would you be so foolish? The Judaizers already know the gift of Jesus and how they need it for salvation. It is the completion of the law. That the law in and of itself cannot save you. That it is Jesus' work on the cross that's sufficient for you. Keeping the law is insufficient. But these Judaizers are coming in and they're telling them. They're telling them. You can trust in Jesus. That's great. But that's not enough. Church, can I ask you this morning, was the work of Jesus enough? 
the death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, are, if, our, if the resurrection wasn't enough, then we are lost. If there was no new life that raised him to dead, then we are still dead. Hello? So he goes, who's lying to you? This is a false gospel. This is not true. This is not true. They're requiring something that God himself never required. So he asked rhetorically. He's not looking for a response. He's trying to call them out. He called out Peter. He's calling them out. He goes, look, who lied to you? Why did you believe it? The Judaizers are false Christians that, that Paul speaks of in, in Philippians 3. They're not those like Paul and Peter. So there's a clear distinction. We need to understand that. That's who he's writing this letter to defend against. In this letter, it's a defense for those who have truly come to salvation. They're truly free. He's writing a letter against those who would try to challenge that or lie or try to put on someone the gospel plus anything else. The gospel plus anything else equals what? A false gospel. Hello? Something else, something new. And so the Judaizers are who Paul is writing against. In verses 1, 3, and 6, he says, functionally, are you in a trance? Like, where, where did your mind go? You've been so careless that you've drifted into their teaching. You've been clearly taught that salvation comes by grace in Jesus alone. Receiving it comes by faith in Jesus and his work on the cross alone. You know this. This is the gospel. This is where true freedom is found. At the intersection of spirit and truth in Jesus. It's a gift. So he's asking a question, and it's a question that we have grown up in Western American life and specifically in a region of the country that is culturally religious. Why would you trade belief for bondage? Why would you trade belief in his salvific and atoning work in your life for the bondage and the belief that depends on your impossibly failed attempts? That you can somehow fix it now. Hello? How many, let, let's, just, let's just take a survey and we'll see if we're all in the same boat. How many of you are wildly imperfect? How many of you have a million flawed attempts? How many of you are also grateful that your salvation doesn't depend on any of those? In fact, it only heightens the fact that you need a Savior. Amen. So, he says, why are you trading this for bondage? This is ludicrous to believe that you can save yourself or that God needed or required your help to save you or all of humanity. If anything, the law only chooses to expose, and this is what Paul's pronouncing, the law only really exposes your need for a Savior because what do we know about the law? If you're guilty of one, you're guilty of the entire thing, right? Let's prove it to you right now. How many of you have ever told a lie? Law says, thou shalt not lie, right? What's that make you? People go, oh, lawbreaker, sinner. No, let's be more specific. What's that make you? Makes you a liar. So I go, hey, have you ever killed anybody? You go, nope, I can't tell because you already lied to me. You told me you're a liar. <laughs> Guilty of the whole thing right there. So who and what do you believe? Verse 2 through 5, let me read it again. He says, I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Are you beginning by means of the Spirit and now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? Was this all in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit by works of miracles? Uh, does he give you a Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? 
and by believing what you heard. Before I go on and explain the rest of this, can I just ask this question? How many of you have ever seen the miracle of God? Your very salvation was a miracle, right? But how many of you have ever experienced in your life that thing that you can't take credit for and you go, that was clearly God? Okay, I think we're all on the same page. Here we go. Again, so who lied to you and what and who do you believe? Paul confronts the fact that Galatians have chosen to follow whims and impulses, feelings, rather than God's revealed truth here, thus forsaking the basic gospel truth that men come to salvation by the power, the presence, and the person of Jesus Christ alone. He asks, you began by means of the Spirit, meaning that only God could save you. You knew that. But, and you were never under the law to begin with. Why would you place that on yourself? Now, Hebrews 12, 2, a letter to the Jew who was converted unto Jesus. He says this, God alone is the author and the finisher of your faith. You have nothing to do with that. So why are you now trying to take credit or trying to practice something as a means to earn salvation that you couldn't earn? I want to quote Dallas Willard here. Dallas Willard said this, God has never been opposed to effort. He desires for you to want to take an effort to cultivate relationship. How many of you realize that you do not cultivate or have intimate relationships with people you never talk to? Right? So he's not opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning. This is not, you don't exercise spiritual disciplines like seeking the scriptures or coming to him in silence, seeking him in solace, practicing the Sabbath, trying to find some place where God can speak to you, create space for him to speak to you. For anything more than just to cultivate that relationship with him and to open your ears so that he might lead you and guide you as Lord. It's for intimacy. It's not for salvation. And that's what they were lying to them about. And so he says, you can't, you can't do anything in this now. Jesus Christ truly was sufficient. If I were to liken this to, to uh, a, a, an example that I had when I was a, a, uh, just a kid, one of my friends um, ended up getting sponsored early. He's a skateboarder. Early in life, he was a teen. He got sponsored. And this kid was really good at skateboarding, but he wasn't really great at anything else. You know what I'm talking about? Like, let me just be clear. Like, academically, he was perpetually underachieving. I think he only ever got a 2.0 at best, like, best. And he never really played conventional sports. If he did, his mom put him in sports where they didn't keep score. There was no winner or loser. He just... He never learned about competition till he got to skateboarding. And his mama was kind of, you know, she believed the hype about her son. She, she was into his press clippings. As, even from a child, she's like, baby, you're going to do whatever you want in life. You're going to be president. Can I ask you a question, moms, specifically helicopter moms? Will you stop lying to your kid? Please? Stop lying to them. That kid who barely graduated high school, perpetually underachieved academically, is not going to make it in the White House. Hello? I mean, I hope not. I would hope not. And like, this is, look, before you jump off some political cliff, that's not a statement for us. I don't care if your guy made it or didn't. I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, I think as Americans, we can all agree we don't want someone who perpetually underachieves in the classroom to be running the free world. Right? And here's the thing. If that kid, by chance, happened to make it there, I think you'd first hear him go, what? 
look, folks, I do not deserve to be here. His testimony would be, of all people on the planet, I shouldn't be here. The only reason that kid, which, by the way, he might go on and win the X Games. Maybe he's great at guitar. He can make a living in places like L.A. and Nashville and New York, but just not D.C., okay? You need another kind of person in that. That's not his gift. Unless everyone else in America is just dead, and there's like no immigrant that's qualified, that guy can run the country, okay? Stop lying to your kid. Not good enough for that. That's not their gift. And here's the thing. We weren't good enough either. That's the point. We look at our lives and we look at our best attempts and they're all failed. And he goes, I'm going to give you something that you do not deserve. That's salvation. That is the gospel. That is it. He took the underachieving perpetually and made him president. Made him the apple of his eye. Hello? And, and our only testimony is, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I made it. Like, of anybody, I deserve, I deserve the least to be here. And that's what Paul's trying to say to the Galatians right here. Without an act of God, truly miraculous providence, like provision of God, moving mountains by God, can you be saved? That's it. He gave his only son to die for you. I don't know of anything more difficult or painful for a father to sacrifice his own son. He moved mountains for you and me, made a way when there was no other way. We were all guilty. We were guilty of sin, just like Lynn said last week, and we knew it. He's looking at the Galatians and going, you knew this. You know this to be true. You needed someone from God's team to see you was valuable enough to take your punishment upon himself, deem you worthy, and adopt you, graft you in. And that's what Jesus did. That's what he did for you. He made you his. Now you have his spirit as a gift to lead you and guide you. There was never anything in you that was good enough to earn it. And you'll never be good enough by practicing the law to earn it, no matter how good you get at it. You've done nothing and can do nothing by the law or in religion that is going to earn you the Holy Spirit. Okay? And the reason I say that is this. What is the marking principle of someone who is actually in Christ? The Holy Spirit not only saves them, removes sin from them and busts them out of sin and places himself within you. He indwells you. Now you have the power and presence of God leading you, guiding you, bearing fruit of his life in you. That's what Paul's saying, Galatians 2.20. Of his life in you, through you. You are to die to your old self, not run back to it but to walk and keep your eyes forward, moving into the new. So Paul's looking at these Gentiles in Galatia. He said, how do you receive the Spirit? By trusting your failed attempts or what God said to you? Church, this morning, the reason this is important, I'm going to harp on this for a second. It's because of this. I say it all the time. I'm going to say it again this morning. You never outgrow the cross. Hello? Like, for those of you who have been in the church for a long time or around culturally religious environments for a long time, you might have the temptation right now to go, man, I've heard this a thousand times. I've heard this a million times. I've heard this my whole life. Let me say this again. You never outgrow the cross. You never outgrow the power of death and resurrection, that thing that gave you life. 
you should daily find yourself there. That is the essence of the gospel itself. And so for those of you who might have a tendency to go, I've heard this my whole life. Let me, let me challenge this for a second. That statement right there says this, in essence, this isn't for me, this is for someone else. And what that says is you are unteachable. Let me challenge that thought right there this morning. You may not be unteachable in everything, but you might be unteachable right there in that moment. That you still depend every morning as you get up to let his power live through you versus you living for yourself and showing the world your old life again. Amen? So, are you letting the gospel press in on you? Like we just sang about, to bring forth new wine. Are you letting the gospel and the power of God press in on you or more what people think press in on you? Are you taking for granted the power and the presence of God in your life, either individually or corporately as a church? Are we taking that for granted? Are we letting God press us with the power of the gospel? Or are we letting people and their opinions of us, their thoughts of us, press us to act in our old ways, much like Paul confronted Peter last week? Are we maybe, unfortunately, because we've been listening to others so much and we started to believe our own press couplings, our own hype, we're starting to take a little credit for the thing that he alone did in us. Hello? This was what they did. I want to I explain to you where we were. You know, when the, when the Israelites were led out of Egypt, out of bondage, and they were led as far as the Red Sea, they came out of Egypt running. They get to the Red Sea, and here they are with this unswimmable ocean before them. Their enemy at their back. Death is imminent. This was every single one of us until God. Until God made a way when there was no other way. He split the sea, and those Israelites took no credit for what was about to take place. All they did was run as fast as they could through walls of water that are being held back by the power of God. They ran to freedom. They didn't go, we did that. And then when they got past it, guess what? Their memories are pretty short. Because what they do within three days, we talked about this a couple weeks, uh, months ago in a sermon called The Bitter Made Sweet. They come through the desert for three days without water and they start going, Moses, why'd you lead us out here? To kill us? You know, we can't, we ain't got water to drink here. And then another miracle happens, but they've already forgotten that God pulled back the water for them to run through the waves. So you hear what I'm saying? Can I ask you, how short's your memory? Are you forgetting, taking for granted the power and the presence of God and where he's moved in your life? Places where you go, only God. I was stuck until God. This is it. And so they start to complain against their leader who's led them out to freedom. They go, we want to go back. We want to go back where we had fish and water, even though we were slaves. Can I just encourage you? We cannot, church, forget our tendency to always want to go back. Last point. Who is your example? Verse 6, he points out to them, he says, So also Abraham believed God and credited, it was credited to him as righteousness. Here's the thing. He said, if you want to start living Jewish, you want to start acting like a Jew, he goes, you need to understand how important Abraham is to a Jew. You need to understand that. That's important. He goes, I know the law better than any of these guys who are trying to lie to you. So let me explain it to you. Abraham is incredibly important to us. Why? In John 8, you saw Jesus be challenged by the Pharisees, the very sect that the Judaizers, these false Christians, came out of. 
They challenge Jesus and go, our father's Abraham. And Jesus goes, no, 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 hold on. Your father's not Abraham. Because if your father was Abraham, you would know the power of God and you would know who you talk to right now. Because your father is the father of all lies. You see, the reason, the reason they never understood, they had a tainted view of the Messiah. They had a tainted view of God. They had a tainted view of themselves because the Pharisee believed their own press clippings. See, the Pharisee would tell you, we didn't understand. We didn't know that we would call upon Jesus as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, to take away my sin. Why? Because I didn't know I had sin to be removed. The Pharisee never believed they were bad enough to where they needed to be saved. They never believed that. See, they believed that they had gone and become the best of the best of the best because, because they were so good. They believed they were the best of the best of the best and selected and pulled out because they were favored by God. So when Jesus challenged them, they were like, what are you talking about? Why did the Judaizer have a hard time letting go of the law? Because that proved their goodness. Hello? So those that came out of Pharisaical life who said, okay, we'll, 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 you know, we'll trust on Jesus as Messiah, but we're also going to keep practicing the law, infiltrated the church and kept giving these lies away, demanding people to earn salvation. And Paul's going, look, if you want to know about Abraham, you need to know who Abraham actually was. Abraham was in the city of Ur, called out by God when he didn't even really know him. Ur was a comfortable place, and Abraham was rich. And all God said to him was, get up, go, go west, and I will show you a land. And he did it. The only thing in that statement was the promise of, I'll be with you. I'm going to give you my presence. I'm not going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. That's coming later. I'm not going to give you the name Abraham. That's coming later. You are Abram. Will you leave Ur and that which is comfortable to come after me and just have me? All that stuff will come, but will you just come after me? And that's the, that's the very challenge he gave all of us. That's the challenge that he gave the Pharisees that they were unwilling to receive. They were unwilling to leave their comforts and their status as Pharisees. They're unwilling to leave it because they liked what being a Pharisee said of them. We were all challenged to give a yes, and you only get one. And if you've used your yes to trust on the power of the cross, then you don't have any more. He is Lord. So wherever he directs and whatever he wants, there is no negotiating, he's boss, hello? So what he's saying here is, Abram, if you really want to know how important it is as a Jew, to, then, then they want to be identified with Abraham. We're going to talk about this next week. We're going to talk about how, how important and how the Abrahamic covenant, the promise of God, was really manifest in Jesus. We're going to look at that how it came to be fulfilled. They wanted to be identified with Abraham because of the promises given him. He goes, if you were really like Abraham, then you would just leave the comfort and come to me. Folks, have we left the comfort to come to him? The truth is the largest mountain due to sin was death. And man, he cast that as far as the east is from the west. Romans says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No longer condemned. How many of you are grateful you're no longer condemned? He threw your sin and your death into the sea. A friend asked me this question this week. I think it's a good one. Here it is. Where do you go to find hope? 
It's the gospel or the opinion of others. Where else can you find hope, true hope, but Jesus? He alone saved you. He alone knows you. He knows the real you. That's what Paul was calling out in Peter last week. There was truly no way until he made one for us. So this morning, I want to ask you something. If you are here or you're listening online and you don't know Jesus, but you're like, this is exactly what I need. I feel like I'm pressed against an unswimmable ocean and the enemy's at my back and death is imminent. Let me encourage you. You cry out for mercy, he will respond. And I would love to talk to you about how to take those steps, how to walk through that. Prayer at thefellowship.cc, just email me, please. I'd love to walk you through that. But if you're here, I'm going to ask for the next slide to come up. I'm going to ask the band to come back. I'm going to ask you something. If true freedom is found at the intersection of spirit and truth, then where is God calling you to in that next step of freedom? If you know Jesus and you know him, how many of us need freedom from legalism? How many of us need freedom from the teaching that we are somehow going to earn our own salvation? How many of us need freedom from addiction? How many of us this morning needed freedom from shame? You know what shame is, right? It's not, that you, it's not that you did something and you were guilty for it. It's that you yourself are guilty and you shame yourself all the time for it. How many of us need freedom from past pain or from insecurity? And maybe God's calling you towards freedom. Maybe he's calling you and giving you the power to forgive someone who has wronged you and hurt you. And he's going to call you to freedom to forgive them. Amen? How many of you have ever been held back because of a bitterness, because of a, you, you just didn't forgive someone? They hurt you and you've held on to it real tight. Maybe this morning he wants to take that step, let go. He's calling you to be free to hope again, to dream again, to have confidence in the person of Jesus and who he's calling you to be. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to listen to Julie as she prays this over us. And I, I'm going to ask us to agree. You know, the word amen means that we agree. I don't know what step God's calling you to or from, but I know he wants freedom for you. And this morning, whatever that step is, I just ask that God, you'd have your way with us and you'd let your church respond in obedience, not obligation, but obedience for freedom. And may our joining this team, joining Julie as she sings and leads over us, be our amen. Father, this morning, have your way with us, I pray in Jesus' name.